It's time to get it, and you know how we get it. Americano! The podcast about all things business and personal growth with your host, Eric Vonheim. Today, I would like to welcome Etai to the show. Etai, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. So, Etai, where are you calling in to the show from today? I'm calling in from a little town called Wittoll off uh, Cape Cod. So, Etai, uh, I'm so glad that you could be on the show. I, I've known you for uh, many years now, and you're an extremely talented musician. And uh, saxophone specifically, that's where I was first introduced to you and watching you perform. And I have to say it was outstanding. What I'd like to do is maybe have you share with our listeners a little bit of background about how Etai came to be. And uh, maybe just take us back uh, to where you're from and, and maybe how you got started in the music industry. My musical journey starts when I was like four years old. I picked up piano, playing, um, I don't know, going pretty fast, I guess, uh, for my age. And then I kept doing that, like going pretty fast and then stop. <laughs> really? And so I at four years old? Yeah, I had, I had a relationship with a piano of like, you know, going pretty fast, pushing it really hard, seriously, since I was four. And then like, quitting for like a couple of years and then going back again when I was like seven and then back and forth probably for, yeah, around uh, 13 years of like on and off of the piano. Wow. Um, yeah. And now, so, was this your parents? Uh, was your, was your, were your parents uh, sort of influencing, influencing this direction towards the piano or was this somebody else in the family? Oh, it was definitely my parents. My mother was, was pushing me towards, you know, uh, having a musical instrument and you know how like the I think it's a pretty old school uh, approach of like you know uh, classical music mm -hmm. and training and practicing and I feel that yeah that like everything was super serious and at some point around the age of 17 I was convinced that maybe I should pick a different instrument that doesn't require uh, that much of, a, of of work and practice. Okay. Uh, which, and I was like, yeah, I'll do, I was always attracted to the saxophone and the sound of the saxophone. And were there, were there some notable figures in, in the industry that were playing saxophone that you were drawn to? I mean, because if you're playing piano for so many years, and then at some point you sort of gravitate towards another instrument, I'm almost curious, what was that gravitation? What was that pull? You know, it's funny because there wasn't like one figure when I chose the saxophone. There was not any, I just was attracted to the sound. Okay. When it came to, when it came to classical music, I would definitely say that there's like more, more so composed that I was like really into but when it was like saxophone and even jazz I was just you know I was pretty much like oh this looks cool you know mm -hmm. uh, and also again this assumption that saxophone requires less work which is by the way has nothing to do with reality um, <laughs> you know I mean there's just I think that you can practice 10 minutes a day and you can practice 10 hours a day mm -hmm. in all of them in all of them and and if you will never be done yeah and i would imagine that the saxophone requires a different um physical component right because unlike where you're just using your hands uh, on the piano there's a lot of wind there's a lot of air that you're having to breathe into that particular instrument yeah the, co the coordination it took me a while to, to make it feel like you know like piano is way was way more natural to me and i think it would probably be for most people 
because you hit a note and then it makes a sound. Right. Um, saxophone is like you need to do two things: hit a note and blow air into it. So it's like it takes a minute to to kind of like figure out that coordination. Yeah. No. No. I have. I have. I have, a, I have a question for you. Did you ever get dizzy? Because I <laughs> I look at that instrument and think if I tried to do that, I might just pass out. <laughs> were there any moments like that in the beginning where you just felt like really woozy and lightheaded not really i mean there are like specific exercises that if i go through them you know too intensely then i could get a little bit okay but, but yeah but not doing playing or not yeah not normally okay now at this point you're around 17 you you take mm-hmm. this path towards the saxophone and you pick yep. up the instrument. And, well, first off, what's the conversation like with your parents? Because I'm sure they made quite the investment in the piano for you. Um, I think at that point they were they were happy with anything. I think that my mother believed from a young age that I have a very strong connection with music. Okay, which which I agree with. So I think she was happy to see me, you know, pursue music in any shape or form. So yeah. I mean, it was cool. So you pick up your first saxophone, you just start playing? You, you Are you self-taught or did you find yourself a mentor? No, no, not at all. I took uh, I took lessons with a teacher in Israel at the time. Okay. For that time, I just played for a year. Very, I'd say, low-key. Like, it was nothing like the way I was practicing the piano. I was way more um, relaxed, you know, practicing sometimes 20 minutes, 30 minutes a day. Okay. Uh, and sometimes not at all. And then I had the period of, of getting into going into the army where I hardly really played, you know, for like probably three years. And that's a requirement and as a citizen, correct? That's correct. Every, every citizen of, uh, of Israel goes into the army for three years. Females go for two years and males go for three years. Okay. So you take a break to fulfill that contribution to society and then you come back and then you just pick the saxophone up again or, or what happens next? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I jam a little bit here and there. And then after the army, I still wasn't really back into it. What happened was after the army, it's a thing uh, for most of the Israelis to go traveling for like somewhere between three months and two years. Wow. Um, I like the sound of this. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> It's a it's a thing and it's very very common. I mean, everywhere you travel, especially uh, Central South America and uh, uh, you know India, Asia, mm-hmm. um, you'll you'll find Israelis backpacking. And I did that. I went to I flew to India okay. when I was probably twenty two, like uh, six months after the army. And I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna fly. I don't. I didn't bring the saxophone with me planning on spending a few months out there. It was after probably a week or two, very clear to me that there's no chance of me surviving this trip without a musical instrument. Okay. And it was like no chance of me not playing, you know, around the fire and jamming and all those mm-hmm. things. So I got to this shop in Mumbai. Um, There's a bunch of like terrible saxophones with, like before that that I saw and there was like no chance of buying those. That, that were but, just available for sale in the city? There, were, there was a bunch available for sale everywhere, but there was like a very, very, like you can't even play them. Okay. Uh, but then I found something made in China kind of thing mm-hmm. um, in one of the shops, and it played pretty well for, you know, for for that price and for, for travel. Yeah, and then I just started playing again. A lot of just jams. Mm-hmm. And, and this was in uh, India 
at the time you were in this India a, still. Yeah, this is in India. This is where I think that something happened, like between me and music. That was like after that. I don't think there was any scenario in my mind of me not playing music. Wow. So, um, so you developed a deep connection to music while you were in India. Yeah, I mean, there was always a connection, but I think in India something clicked to me and was like, yeah, like there's no way of me not uh, mm-hmm. not playing music. Do you do you uh, find that maybe in, in some of the jams that you participated in that there was a, a sort of a connection to the music and the people and, and, the, and the type of music they were producing with those instruments that was sort of unique to India in comparison to elsewhere? A lot of my jam sessions were like two other guys that one was like playing guitar and one was playing a tarbuka, which is actually a Middle Eastern instrument. Um, but that guy was Indian. And we weren't playing Indian music at all, but I would say definitely uh, the strongest uh, connection I had was like actually to the Middle Eastern music. Like we were playing, jamming a lot of like Middle Eastern tunes and, you know, like Arabic and israeli like jewish type mm-hmm. uh music and i think um that resonated with me yeah and, I, and from following you online I, I get the sense uh that you know every time you travel because it's very clear to me you travel quite a bit um as yeah. a musician and you play uh with these jams and other musicians and crowds and you probably get a lot of um, inspiration and energy from those different types of environments and because of that it probably makes you just more well-rounded as a musician yeah i mean definitely every place you know or every situation or culture i get a chance to blend into and play music and kind of observe like you know, their music, you know, it, it just goes back with me. And then it's really amazing because, like, playing music in Israel, sometimes, you know, I, I'll bring stuff that I heard in this festival in Costa Rica, mm-hmm. you know, and it will be amazing for them. And then I'll play in Panama and I'll bring, like, Middle Eastern, and they never heard that stuff before. So it's, like, very interesting. Yeah, and uh, you're connecting cultures just to that music. Uh, definitely. It's one of my favorite parts is, like, bringing bringing things that like theoretically don't belong mm-hmm. but 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 it works and making it work you know? i love that and I, I certainly appreciate and respect the fact that you're heavily focused on connecting people around the world through your music i think that's fantastic so you're in india you know you you pursue this uh saxophone journey um that really mm-hmm. follows you throughout the rest of your life so after leaving mm-hmm. India, where did you where did you go next? Did you go back to Israel? Did you make your way to the States? What happens next for so, Etai? After India, I, I go back to Israel, and I'm like, uh, I think it's time for music school. Um, and then I went to uh, Rimon School of Music. It's basically a school for jazz. Okay. Um, at that point, with basically zero or very close to zero uh, jazz playing, like, I, I really all, I'd say at that point, all my saxophone experience is just jamming with different situations, different people. Mm-hmm. Um, are these paid gigs? And, are you getting paid for some of these things? Or at this point, is it still a hobby? Not at that point. Not at, like, yeah, yeah, I can't remember up to that point me getting paid for, for gigs. Your soul is being fed, though. Definitely. I mean, yeah, the India thing was... Um, yeah, it was incredible. I mean, still up today, there's like memories of, you know, you feel 
at some point that the only thing that's happening, I remember like the first time I played in front of people was actually in India. Wow. And, and I was playing on this lake and, you know, I just closed my eyes and I started playing and, it, and, and, and I was done. And then I heard like people clapping and I was like, wow. And I kind of like woke up and this, oh, there are people here. <laughs> you were in a <laughs> trance know? then, so you had just like yeah. transported yourself somewhere yeah, yeah. Uh, with the music. Yeah, and I, I definitely have one or two very strong other memories from India that, mm. that have that, that type of, of experience where there's really nothing besides music, you know, and you kind of don't, don't even know where you are, but just it's happening. Yeah. And you know what's special is it, I would imagine while you're having that, your, your own sort of journey and experience in that moment, others listening to you are having something similar that they too will remember for the rest of their life. Yeah. The impact is, is one of the things you have to kind of like accept and just learn to live with is you never know uh, what the impact is. You know, like people, people stop me and say, listen, like this, you know, changed my life or listen like this. I was in this place and, and after you played, I was there. And like, sometimes, you know, people come in tears and like, you wow. don't, you, you, you know, you never know what the impact is and, and how strong of a, of, you know, of a stamp you leave with someone. And it could you know, it, it sometimes it resonates the same way, but also sometimes you can have a totally different experience. You know, you could be like, "Oh my God, this gig sucked, and I just like didn't." You know, mm -hmm. I wasn't feeling, I wasn't feeling it. You know, and it's like this thing didn't work, and the sound was awful. Blah blah blah, and then people will stop you and be like, "Oh my God, that's the, you know the most amazing thing." Or even sometimes a year later, some somebody will come and you remember that time that yeah, were, you know. Music and is so powerful. You know, it's it's one of those things I talk to or talk with a, a lot of people about in terms of their state of mind, right? <clears throat> Music mm -hmm. is so powerful to the effect that if you play certain songs, they will invoke a state change in your mind and essentially mm -hmm. shift the energy of the day. So if, if you're mm -hmm. feeling down or maybe just not motivated, you, you know there's certain songs that are going to move you in a certain way, right? Play those songs over and over again. Get yourself back into that state state change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's just like impossible to kind of predict, you know, what, what mm -hmm. the effect will be. And we're all... Um, but, but there are definitely sounds that from experience, you know, um, different sounds kind of like, you know, cause different people, different things. I mean, obviously there's music that's easier to dance to and there's music that's easier to fall asleep to. Right. And, and a lot of the things that we've been doing lately also with my uh, events in LA is, is, is having sound healing sessions and different experience of sounds that kind of like you know, go deeper into, um, you know, conscious journeys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, we're, and I want to get to that. Uh, but before we do, maybe yeah. you can give our listeners a, a sort of a, an overview. So of, of at what point, you know, you, you leave India, you go back to Israel, you, you know, you finish school, you have this uh, sort of formal education around music, and you have a clear path, which is pursuing music around the saxophone. At what point 
do you then start becoming sort of um, an entrepreneurial, uh, you know, around music? At what point do you be, you well, sort of take that that step? Well, a side note to all, like a parallel line that's moving with me uh, during all these years is I've always been um, some sort of a event organizer or promoter. Okay. And this is from and this is from the age of fourteen. Like when I was fourteen. We were like organizing bus rides for like kids my age to come and have parties. Like we used to like throw like 300, 800 people parties. You know, it peaked probably around 2008 or something. You know, like my birthday party had like 4,000 people. Oh my. Uh, <laughs> you know how to throw a party, Itai. Uh, well, some people say so. But, but the point is that my entrepreneurship uh, me as an entrepreneur started almost as young as me as a musician. Okay. Um, and so that was like a parallel line that sometimes I was more into promoting and producing. And I also owned a club at some point, etc. And then kind of like in and out with the music. So that's kind of like a side thing. And then I think it was 2013 where... I was like, okay, I think I'm done with with a with the nightlife and like the club business. Okay, and so the, you're done with the role of promoter at this point. Kind of, <laughs> right? Because at some point <laughs> you're going to be promoting yourself in your events, right? To that, to the promotion for like a profession, seeing promotion or seeing nightlife as a profession, I was done with. I came to the states to help my brother. He had a little business um, in Orange County, kind of like consulting for him. And after three months. Uh, we were kind of done and I was in the States and I was like always wanted to try uh, playing music on the street and okay. like like San Francisco New York I mean some of these this is this is, this is Orange County okay this Orange County in Orange County already yeah I, I, I was living with my brother at Dana Point Okay. Point. And I was like, I always wanted to try. And this will might sound funny to some people, but like it, it's probably in the top three, if not one, most scariest things I've ever done in my life was to take out the saxophone and play on the streets of the San Clemente Pier. Wow. Um, but you did it. Like uh, I was shaking like, like really like a child. I called my mom. <laughs> <laughs> the lifeline like, yeah i was like mom i don't know if i like i i'm shit i'm like i can't do this you know and it was so scary for me but eventually yeah i just took out the fact i just started playing i i saw you know that i made a couple bucks um with you know after a few days i kind of bought some back backing tracks so the jazz sounded a little bit better and people started you know uh, contributing and donating or tipping enough for me to make a living. So you make this yeah. decision, and now I want to back this up just a little bit. So yeah. At, yeah. at some point, did you have it in your mind that I would love to be able to play my music in a public space on a pier or, or street and earn a living? Yeah. Or was it, I, I want to overcome this because I know this is going to be really scary? Well, I mean, I guess both, but I think there's they're also connected uh, in a way because like, I always wanted to do it, and I guess that's connected to me being so scared of it you know because there's something in things i feel that you really want to do that are always kind of scary i right. don't know why it's why it's designed that way but it feels you know um that a lot of the things that you kind of like really feel and really connected to are also very scary for you i think that because you're really throwing yourself out there and you're really emotionally connected to right and and while they're the, while they're just dreams you know they'll 
they they'll stay perfect. Yeah. But once you start living them, you know they can fail, or many other things can can happen. You know, so yeah, and those um, moments grow. We we grow in those moments, right? I mean, I mean, yeah. I'm sure both of us have grown in the moments in our life where we've been most uncomfortable. Yep. Exactly. So, so you're out there performing. You, you now. Do you have? I want to talk about your. Do you have a? Do you have a tip jar, Etai? I mean, are we talking about a tip jar? Well, you have a bucket. Talking, what are we talking about here? We're we're actually talking about the saxophone case. I just opened the saxophone nice. case. It's a system that, like, you know, I think that was also a turning point in my life. Where a, a lot of the time in my life, I did a lot of planning for all my stuff, and like, I was like, uh, you know, trying to reach some sort of perfection before I started a project. Right. Um, and, and this was, I think, a turning point also with me just like doing it. And then kind of like it kept improving, like the process kept improving. I find, you know, the best spot. I found like the best hours. You know, I, yeah. I perfect. I had, a, I had a sign at some point. I um, We call this I market started. research. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and you were doing this naturally. So you, you studied things, you observed, you made adjustments, and uh, you improved. Exactly. And uh, yeah, and at some point people started like asking for CDs. So I made it and I, I, I got in the studio and I recorded a CD, like a jazz CD. Okay. Um, now, were you doing yeah, covers? Were you doing cover music or were you producing your own at this point? Well, at that point, the thing about jazz that you can't really call jazz covers okay. because um, you play a tune that is a standard that everybody knows, like, you know, fly me to the moon, but then you improvise for like most of the, I'd say 80%, 70% of the time you're improvising and then you kind of like start and end with what's called the head, like the tune. Okay. Um, so it's jazz. Um, I guess it's some sort of coverage, but it's a lot of improvisation. So you're so you're 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 playing some of this music. You're you're, you're adding your own flair, your own touch, your own creative style to the music. Uh, people are responding well to it. You now start to produce some CDs, and you now back at the pier. You're selling CDs at the same time. Yeah, I'm just like you know people that want. I just put a little sign and said, "There's." I mean, a side a side story that's. Um, I think it's the interesting is I started having issues with the cops at the same time. How can the police have a problem with the saxophone player uh, on so, the pier? So that's a, so it'll, it'll be. Uh, it's never really the police. The police doesn't really care. There's somebody else has to care, and there was like a neighbor that or a guy that let, lived like across the street uh, from the pier. Okay. And he didn't like he didn't like the fact so he kept uh, calling and he was an ex cop. Uh, so he called so his he buddies like, over and said, "Hey, I, you yeah, know what I'm called, yep, he called his buddies and you know what am I going to do now? Right? Because um, this is your livelihood at this point. I mean, that's where you're making your living, correct? Yep. And I was like, okay, what what do I do now? So I started googling things um, and. Uh, one of the interesting first facts that I, I learned is in almost every major city in the United States of America, there was this issue between the, the um, state and street musicians. Okay. And, and because some people don't like, I don't know, they don't like the commotion, they don't like the sound, they don't like whatever. Um, and in every major city where uh, the street uh uh, musicians uh, got legal representation. Um, they got 
they won their cases against the city, and the and it was all uh, around the First Amendment. It was all around the freedom of speech. Okay. And basically, your right to express yourself as a musician is is defended by the by the freedom of speech in a public space. So it didn't matter if you're doing this on the pier. The pier is considered public space, R- right? The pier is a public space. It's a touristic area. It's a place. You know, if if you want to come and talk about Jesus, you can. If you want to come and and play music, you can. If you want to come and read your poems, you can. Um, as, as, as long as it's like reasonable hours, you know. So I, what I actually did is I printed a bunch of cases and, and, and I, I, ta- I spoke to a lawyer and the second time the cops came, I was like, you know, and I just started having this, this conversation with the cop. And then it became a little bit of a hide and seek, a little bit of a like, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> you see the police show up and you start grabbing your stuff and running down the pier with your saxophone? No, Is no, that what we're talking no, about? No, 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 no. More like the worst thing I ever got. So I'm protected. As a street musician, I'm protected under the freedom of speech. They can't get me for that. However, okay. I had a small speaker, like a, you know, a speaker that is for the, like a computer speaker, you okay. know, when you put like music on your computer and you're not, it's illegal for you on that beach in San Clemente to use amplified music. Wow. So they would try and kind of get me for that. It became a little bit of game, but, but the worst thing that ever happened was they told me, let's go away. And I was like, no, I'm staying. <laughs> and they were like, leave. <laughs> and, and I was like, no. And then they ended up buying them like a hundred bucks for the speaker. That's kind of like the worst thing that ever happened in that whole uh, wow. scenario. Now, at some, um, at some point you leave the pier, right? And, and I'd imagine you left on your own, at your own decision to, to pursue well, bigger things. Well, and what slowly happened is at the same time that I'm playing there is like I started getting people approach me for like whatever, private parties, you know. Uh, Some gigs. You're getting people approach you for yeah, gigs. Started, yeah, started getting gigs in restaurants and whatnot. And then at the same time, I'm also like always out there, always jamming uh, with people. I started jamming with, there's this reggae night on Sunday. I think we even met there one time. Yeah, Mozambique. Uh, yeah, in Mozambique. And there was one night Pato Banton was playing there, which is an international like reggae performer, like an Emmy nominee, big deal guy. And I had no idea who he was or what was going on. But when he was playing there, I was like, uh, I saw his best guy and I was like, hey, I can jam with these guys. And like, a, like, and I saw him like, you know, call up a guy playing like jam bass or something to jam with and I was like hey can I jump in too that being the sack no, like, no, yeah, r- r- real quick does, when you when you ask that question are, are you are you nervous or, or do you just know uh, that they're going to say yes or have you ever been turned down when you asked to jump in I mean yeah, what, what does it feel yeah. like as a musician maybe at the beginning I would like be a little bit more nervous or a little bit like more scared but I'd say that or more offended when somebody said no but at this point I'm like there are really two options <laughs> You know, you could either say yes or no. Right. And they and and I made it make it very clear, you know, that I'm jumping into their music and if they want me to stop, I'll stop. If they want you know, like I'm coming in there to like listen to what right. they have to say and you're a guest. Like, you're a guest in their yeah, home, right? Exactly. And and I made that make that very clear in all the situations where I jump into even like today when like I'm more well known in like the electronic music scene. 
I still make it very clear to the DJ if I'm going to jump in their set. Right. That it's their, that it's their set. But, uh, yeah, but, but, but back to Pato Bump, he was like, yeah, jump in. I got the sack. And after a week, I saw that they were looking for a trumpet player. And, uh, he was like, he posted on Facebook, you know, uh, looking for a trumpet player. And I said, Hey, my alto can sound a little bit like a trumpet if you want. <laughs> <laughs> And, and after like a few days, he, he reached out on Facebook and he was like, you know, normally we do additions and stuff, but we heard you play and, and we like it. So let's, let's, let's go, let's go tour together. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, and I started touring with Pato, we did a few tours together. He was actually, uh, the person who pushed me, um, to do one of my CDs. You know, he's like, listen, you, you got to record the music. You know, he heard me. I opened up for them, like, playing jazz a couple of times. Okay. And he's like, and he was very impressed. He's like, you have to record this. Like, just put this down on a CD. So I did. Yeah. And then there was that. So, and, and that brought in, you know, it just started rolling, you know. To, yeah. To, Everything know, builds on it. each other, right? I mean, one event leads exactly. to the next and to the next and to the next. And now at some point, you're really well exactly. known in the scene and Orange County specifically, of uh, being a really great saxophonist, I'd imagine you start branching out Los Angeles, elsewhere? Well, what happened was, uh, there was a few things that were happening at the same time, but I think like a turning point was, there's this place in Laguna Beach that, uh, called Brussels Bistro, and it plays uh, electronic. And I used to you know, come out there and also jam with DJs sometimes. At some point, I, I got into a conversation with the owner, and I had a guest, a DJ come from Panama, a friend of mine, and I hosted her like she had a DJ, a DJ set there, and I was playing with her the whole time. Okay. And the place was like slammed, and the reactions were amazing. And one of my friends were like, you know, after that, I talked to him, and he was like, "Listen, I think you found your your thing. You found your calling." Until then, I was like, I'm just thinking myself about myself as like a saxophone player and I, I play reggae here and I'll play electronic music there and I'll play jazz here and that all works for me. But after that, I was like, yeah, I mean, this is where I'm having the most fun. I think this has like a real good crowd worldwide and in LA and Orange County. Okay. And, and I just started focusing my attention and my energy into electronic music. So you, you sort of dialed it in. So this is your genre now that you're primarily focused on? Exactly. I'd say almost solely focused on electronic music. And, and the next shift was when I started DJing myself. Because then uh, a year and a half ago, I started uh, DJing my own set in a Central America tour that I had. And since then, it really started blowing up. That's fantastic. So let's bring this forward a little bit for our audience. Yeah. So yeah. your focus, you're, you're now sort of dialed in in this particular area. This is what you're doing today, and you're traveling around the world, right. clearly. Right. You earlier talked about sort of the, the combination of the music and therapy and healing. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe share with our audience some of the events that are either coming up or, or, or something on the horizon that they can look forward to? Yeah, so uh, I think this also connects to, it connects to many things. It kind of brings everything that I do together. Um, I started an event series or a gathering that we named uh, Italian Friends. I thought of it as a platform to just bring 
you know, a bunch of different people that I've collaborated with or I consider my friends in the music world and bring them together to create something, you know, to create an intimate experience. There's a lot of like um, huge events out there. Okay. And we felt like there, there's like this need in our people in the scene in LA to just have like something that's more of a community where people can actually see each other, where people people can actually interact. We started the series called Italian Friends. It's almost a year now. It started in uh, December. Oh, congratulations! Um, thank you. Now what this is a collective is, of artists, essentially Itai, uh people like yourself. Yeah, it's basically you know a, a community of people, artists, um, you know, musicians. Uh, we have uh, people in the healing arts. Um, we, we have, yeah, different, but it's all kind of the thing that brings everybody together is definitely the sound and the music. Okay. Um, and I would say that, you know, there are a few things that we do that are like very, like that kind of like give this, um, you know, community, community feeling and also conscious feeling to, to what we're doing. And, and definitely, um, sound bath or sound bath meditation uh, is uh, how we start all of our events. And it's definitely uh, uh, something very, very, very powerful that um, I've been exposed to in the past, uh, I'd say, a year, maybe okay. a little bit long, maybe a bit longer. And if, uh, to people who don't know, it's just using the vibration because we're all basically vibrating all the time everything's vibrating it's using the vibrations of the sound to like get your mind you get your mind into like a state of deep deep uh, meditation wow. um and we do different things the first time we had you know somebody worked with like electronic sounds uh infused with like a persian instrument and like sitar and oud and like all those kind of things okay Second time we had somebody play cello and sing, all those things kind of like, it, that was like very intense. Some interesting uh, combinations. Yeah. And this time, I, I, we don't rock, we don't, so one of the other things is we don't promote like the lineup. We don't like really tell people what's going to happen. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Like, it's a surprise for them. Exactly. Like we, I, I, I talk about what happened last time. But I don't really talk that much about what's going to happen uh, this time. But I do. I can tell that I have a very, a new, very interesting technology for this this event, and it will be a chance for people not to only hear what the music, but can actually feel it in their body too. Okay. Um, now, these events so that you put together, are they open up to the public or are they private? How does somebody get plugged into Etai and Friends? Let's put it this way: one of our things is having this be a very safe space for people um, to express themselves and to be free and to connect with each other. Okay. Um, so everybody's welcome. But when somebody requests to join, there's like a question. And if they answer the question and, and you know, and there's no reason, real reason to, to fear that it will affect the vibes of right. what's going on in the group, then, then there's no reason for me to reject. I, I've only rejected one person that seemed like it was going to be a lot of spam. So I see. But really, most of the time, uh, it's very inclusive. Uh, but it is 
um, small, intimate, like our, we, we hold capacity of like maximum 200 people. Uh, you know, we don't, last event was like completely sold out. Wow, and, that yeah. is fantastic. Well, congratulations on these events. Thank and uh, I think it's wonderful Thank that you're sort of protecting the space and making sure you have the right mix, the right crowd, but also obviously being inclusive and uh, bringing people together. Yeah, there's two other things that I think are interesting about these things. One is we obviously we don't promote the lineup, but we do bring people like international like scale acts from like all over the world to play. Uh, so the effect of the promo per se is after, but the effect of the experience is, is very strong for the music. And the other thing is that we do not sell alcohol um, okay. in the event. Uh, it's basically bring your own whatever kind of event. You can bring your own booze, you can bring your own food, you can bring whatever you feel that will enhance your experience. Right. But we, but we, there's not a, there's no commercial feel inside of the space. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Allow everybody to have their sort of own personal experience, personal journey. Uh, and you guys just yeah. supply the vibes. I love it. Exactly. Itai, I want to wrap this up with a few questions for you that I like to ask all my guests. And um, let's, let, let's get after it. The first question is, what is your favorite book and why? I'm going to have to go with The Alchemist. The Alchemist. Uh, Paolo Coelho. I think it's called The Alchemist. It's, I'm, I'm translating in my head from Hebrew because I read it in Hebrew. Uh, but I think it's called The Alchemist. And, um, and why and would you recommend that book? I think that was like the first book I read. It kind of opened me up to like an inner journey kind of feel and like, you know, uh, a sense of following your heart and following, you know, the inner voices. Next question. If you could only travel to one more country in the world, where would it be and why? Does it have a new one or, or whatever? Your choice. But, it, but you can only go to one other country one last time. Where would it be? I'd go back to India. No questions about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially given the, the origins with your music. Yeah. Next question. What is the last random act of kindness that you performed towards another individual? And how did it make you feel? Well, I'd say the last one was actually, I got a call. I mean, it's a very small thing, but I just got a call yesterday from someone that wanted to book me for their wedding. And told them they can decide, they can pay me whatever they like, basically. So you left it up to them. Nice. I left it up to them. Wonderful. And then the last question is, where can people find you online to learn more about you, Itai, and your wonderful music? Oh, the most active place is Instagram, which is Itaizen, I-T-A-I-S-E-N. And yeah, just Itaizen. However, I also have my SoundCloud. That is my full name. If you're looking for the music, Itai Eisenberg. I-S-E-N-D-E-R-G. And that's where you can find my music and the same name. If you look for it on Facebook, you'll find it. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you so much for calling into the show today, Itai. It's, a, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. And congratulations on Itai and Friends, your journey. I wish you the very best with your events uh, moving forward. And I hope to hear from you again soon. Yeah. And if this comes out in time and everybody anybody's looking for it, the next one is August 9th. In LA. August 9th, Los Angeles. Thanks, Etai, and you have a great day. All right. Thank you so much, Eric.